Sorry, let's try that again. One sec. Welcome back to Power and Consequence, a podcast about propagandists and grifters. I am your host, Matt, and this is part two of our series on Larry Elder, somehow the leading GOP contender to replace Gavin Newsom as governor of California in this upcoming recall election. And we have a couple of guests today, one regular and one brand new. Uh, first up, returning to the show is fellow podcaster, writer, and novelist Destiny Fox Cano. Welcome back, Destiny. I love the enthusiasm. And uh, joining us for the first time, we have Jelani. Welcome back, Jelani. Yay! Or not welcome back. You've never been on before. (laughs) But we've done another podcast together. That's That's true. That's true. This trio. That's true. Speaking of get drunk. Mind go. Speaking of get drunk, (laughs) get woke, we all sort of called an audible here. And we are all drinking in the name of get drunk, get woke. I am drinking a... Westward American whiskey single malt, and it is delicious. What's everybody else got in their hand? I'm pretty sure that that's what I, oh. also- <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just gonna say, I'm pretty sure that that's what you drank when you're on my podcast <laughs> last time. So you're like, and we were talking about like Westward Women's Association or something weird. I don't know, we were, we were probably already drunk at that point, but um, I have a black cherry white claw because I am being um, a regular folk today. No worries, no worries. I don't think I've ever had White Claw. I'm going to give that one a go. And I think we might You have... should uh, try the uh, mango. Mango. Okay, is that is that what you're drinking today, Jelani? <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm drinking Hatozaki Small Batch Japanese Whiskey. Ooh. Um, it's a birthday bottle I got. Classy. From one of my friends. I'm okay, well, that. thanks for making me feel like trash, y'all, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> i like it i like it uh honestly i, I wish i had a white claw because i'd be able to regulate myself a little bit more but now we're just going all in ah uh, fuck it i mean we we all kind of collectively agreed without agreeing that uh we need some alcohol to get into this because larry elder like i said this is part two and he fucking sucks so uh with that said we are just how about we just get right into it before we get too drunk to function Uh, so this is going to be an interesting episode because we are recording today on September 8th, but this, uh, episode is actually going to drop on the 13th, which is the day before the recall election. So, you know, I, I'm confident that there's going to be a final propaganda push from the right and, and the left. To be fair, the commercials urging people to vote no, um, on the recall, it's, it's, there's a lot of fear, you know, there's a lot of theatrics. I, I, I get that. I'm still voting no, for the record. Um, but it's got that dramatic sort of flair that appeals to fear over logic. So let's get into it. Uh, oh, first of all, uh, Jelani, what do you know just generally about Larry Elder? So generally, it's probably about as much as you've said. I know that he's a leading Republican contender for the recall election. Um I also know that he is kind of this new age Republican. We'll call it the uh, 
the Tea Party or neoliberal. He's just, he's one of those people who says outlandish things just to get under people's feathers and kind of really appeal to his base. Um, that's about the brunt of it. Um, uh, I've seen little news bits here and there, but I purposely try to give people like that as little attention as possible <laughs> because that's kind of what gives them their voice. Um, and that being said, I do know that he is a conservative talk show radio host, which to me, it means a lot in terms of this whole conversation. Yeah, yeah. He, um, he, he's he been syndicated by Sale Media, which we covered last week. It's a Christian media group, um, same company that reps uh, Sebastian Gorka and Dennis Prager, you know, and if you're judged by the company you keep, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't really have to say much more about that. Uh, Destiny, you were with us for part one, and based on last week, um, we're going to be talking about mostly his position on labor, sort of, um, and also a, a certain clip that you sent me that has been making the rounds. But based on what you know about him so far, Destiny, you, any predictions on his, his positions on, like, on labor, economics, that type of thing? Um, I'm betting he's, well, I mean, he says it himself. He's like, pick yourself up by your bootstraps kind of person. <laughs> so he probably, yeah, doesn't... Uh, advocate for a higher minimum wage because obviously uh, you deserve what you get uh, in his mind and um, probably doesn't want people with a lot of money to be taxed very much either is my position on the gains of labor in Larry's eyes. Yeah, that's about right. That's about Jelani. Any, 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 your thoughts? I predict a lot of cognitive dissonance. (laughs) (laughs) Um, just, just throughout my life, uh, I, I can already look. There's a playbook that these people read from, and yeah, when, when you when you hear things like "pick yourself up by your bootstraps," they just they don't have a full understanding of the system and systemic problems. Um, and so, I expect him to have these short-sighted solutions as to how people can improve their livelihood. Um, without actually understanding how the system works. Oh yeah, Ab- absolutely. And um, it, you know, he 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 likes to tell a certain anecdote from his life and from his father's life that he thinks kind of gives cred to his sort of philosophy on labor. And we'll get to that at the end because that's just I, we need to set the table before we listen to his personal justification for his shitty shitty beliefs. But. We're going to start off um, focusing on a clip that, again, Destiny actually pointed out to me because I suppose it kind of deals with labor in like one of the worst ways you could think possible. If you could reduce, you know, the global slave trade genocide uh, to a labor issue, which is kind of an economics issue, which is kind of what Larry Elder likes to do. So, uh, Jolene, do you have any idea what we're talking about? There was a clip that was kind of resurfaced recently um like like i said i i you know I, i'm on i'm on the internet <laughs> you know i pay attention to the the, the tweets and, and the reddits uh <laughs> uh and the general news so uh, i know he he's made statements about uh reparations particularly in regard to the ownership side of things <laughs> um that uh and and his justification was had to do with how uh, the UK dealt with things. Uh, I'm assuming you're going to play the clip or or something like that. Oh yeah. So 
uh, I'll let everyone hear for themselves what he has to say, and then we can go to town. Yeah. And, and Destiny, <laughs> I presume you've also listened to it or watched it? Oh, yeah, I've listened. Yeah, so... Uh, so we're just gonna get into it. So just a, a real quick thing. I just want to say this. Um, the, the there's been a little uh, and I'm not a real journalist by any means, but I will say this as a consumer of media, there's been a little bit of shoddy reporting regarding this thing. Okay, some publications are, are kind of putting it together or putting it out there like uh, Larry Elder said this over the weekend. Uh, what we're talking about is a clip of an interview between uh, uh, of Larry Elder by Candace Owens, all right? And some publications are implying that he said this recently, or at least as recently of, like, this past, like, July, I'd say. So if you just, with minimum uh, Google search, uh, you can actually find that it is day, it is a April 2019 interview that you can still find on Dennis Prager's stupid-ass website. I will link it, not because <laughs> I want you to go there, but because full disclosure in that's what it is. It's like a one hour interview. Okay. So, you know, I, I just real quick, a personal peeve of mine. I can't stand it when there's shoddy reporting on propagandists because you're just giving them ammo, you know, cause then forever now he's going to get to say, Oh, you see, they couldn't even get their dates right. You know, which it's just, sorry. I just had to put that out there. It's from 2019. Um, Everyone's got to be a lawyer. Very true. I appreciate you for it. <laughs> so it doesn't make it any less shitty. So let's just get right into it. So I, I, we have the clipping question or an extended version of it, but I watched somehow managed to get through the entire interview. It's about an hour long. And I wanted to tee up a little bit of the interview before the clipping question, because I think that adds further nuance to this just to enhance how shitty this was. You know, the, the, the clip is what you might think it is. It's an hour long. Um, there's a lot of it. Have It's pretty predictable. Um, People, Candace Owens and Larry Elder saying systemic racism isn't really real. The Clintons are racist. They're debating LBJ and the quote-unquote welfare state. All those things, all those talking points. So first up, uh, Owens and Elder are talking about, I guess I would call it accountability in the black community. Uh, Owens claims there should be a greater focus on topics like black-on-black crime, right? Uh, Owens puts it to Elder, you know, why does the black community not want to face up to this kind of problem? So uh, Elder answers, and uh, in part by using a shitty sports metaphor, uh, and he blames it on the loss of the nuclear family. It's easier to yell and scream about racism than it is to look at black people and say, we have to change our behavior. We have to do better. We have to. We have to raise our game. Uh, You remember when the dream team destroyed the whole world in the Olympics, and we won by 40, 50 points. The rest of the world didn't say, let's lower the hoop, uh, let's uh, widen the hoop for us. They got better, they raised their game. And the rest of the world is no longer getting destroyed the way they used to. We need to raise our game. We need to graduate from high school. We need to stop having children outside of wedlock. We need to uh, to uh, do the right thing by the children that we bring into the world, and we're not doing that. Oh, God. I. <laughs> it's just so cringe. It's so cringe. <laughs> reactions so as a basketball uh we'll call it, i won't say i'm an aficionado <laughs> um i've just been playing ever since i was like six years sure, old sure. <laughs> and, and it played at various levels um the the terrible thing about that analogy is that and, and this is really just sports in general like that dream team he was talking about that was 12 guys one year <laughs> like that changes 
So it's a terrible analogy. Like you can't say the rest of the world brought the game up because the rest of the world literally isn't playing the same people anymore. Right, right. Like, we don't even send the same caliber of athlete anymore. Like so that's just a terrible analogy overall. And even if that same team was playing today, they'd be uh sixty years old. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and so. in their prime, it's like Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson. I mean, how many times in one generation is one collection of that kind of talent happening? That's why they were called the dream team, first of all. Terrible analogies aside. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh what what is your reaction to it? That's what you got? What you got for us? I mean, I mean, it, we're not here to talk about the Olympics, but it, it, I'd be remiss to not point out that obviously there have been a lot of exceptional black women and people in the sport who have raised the bar, but because of the committee and their regulations and what they think humans should be like, if they're not black, like we don't get to raise the bar for the rest of humanity in this sport a lot of the time or even get to compete. So his analogy just falls flat with me in that term as well. <laughs> yeah. And then to get to the point he was trying to make this idea that black people aren't good enough or uh, black people need to raise their own bar, raise their own standards. It's kind of ridiculous and really just plays into this whole systemic problem that we have. Um, because there are plenty of black people that are good enough. There are plenty of black people that are better. There are plenty of black people that raise the bar in their own ways. And to just broadly brush this, uh, paint this picture that people aren't good enough, it's, it's kind of demeaning. <laughs> At its core. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously, I, I, I look at it, you know, from the outside to a certain perspective, because I, you know, as we covered Destiny, you and I covered last week, you know, a big part of uh, Elder's persona is this idea of like, I'm black and I made it. Therefore, why can't all of you, you know, that 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 is a big part of his ethos. And so, you know, I, again, I'm always going to have a blind spot in this regard, you know. Uh, but having said that, just looking at it clinically uh, in shitty analogies, um, who who is the dream team and who is the rest of the world in this analogy? I guess he's ref he's trying to, to, like, make it reach as wide an audience as possible. It's like, oh, the dream team. Everybody understands that. Everybody knows what the dream team is. But, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm not seeing it. I think that's an interesting point, though, Matthew, Matt, that, like... Yeah, maybe he is trying, especially since this is like many, many years ago sort of thing. He's trying to tap into the mentality of a certain age group of, of black folk, I'm assuming, who have been living with this rhetoric of they aren't good enough and have been living under the systemic racial issues that, you know, uh, the promise of Martin Luther King Jr. and there that came after, like, never it has been fulfilled. So they're feeling maybe beat down or something. And he's trying to tap into his his visualized reality of what that looks like through this metaphor. Maybe. I, I, I don't presume to really understand what he's getting at. They, they move on and... and you know, Owens kind of agrees with Elder, right? And she puts in her two pennies, so to speak, um, on the problem with black people underachieving. 
That's exactly right. And we're not competing. And what I think we're suffering from also is this, we have no self-confidence. We don't think we can't. Like we've been sold. And I think from a, the time that we step into school that we can't, right? Here are the reasons you can't. We are handed so many excuses before we even get out into the real world that it's, be it's become a plague on black America. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about that, Ken. It's not your fault. It's because of slavery. You don't have to worry about that, Larry. It's not your fault. It's because of Jim Crow. You don't have to worry about that. What you right. do need to worry about is how angry you should be at the white man, right? right. The white man, because of what they did. I've never been a slave in this country me saying that on CPAC stage <laughs> went viral and, and, and these black publications were so angry well Candace has never been a slave I literally have never been a slave in this country I cannot yeah. relate there, there goes the argument for reparations yeah I called that clip zero years a slave a lifetime is an asshole <laughs> I, I mean I, I I don't know what to say to that I so I, I would I, I want to key off something because here's always the problem with uh, people like Candace Owens and Larry Elder. There is some truth in what they're saying. They just start to run off with it in a direction where you kind of like, oh, hold up. How did, how did we get here? <laughs> um, so she starts off by saying that from a very young age, black people are told that they can't do things. And that's actually true. Um, and it comes from both inside and outside the community community um i have plenty of stories from when i was younger when i told people i want to be an engineer they'd be like black people don't do that and i'd be like what are you talking about now that doesn't mean that uh there aren't other problems in the system but all it means is that yeah that's one particular thing that can happen but it doesn't speak to all the other things that are set in place to kind of hold black people as a whole back um and you know, how many people get told you suck on a daily basis and you're not good, but they still kind of strive and, and make it through these things. Like, uh, I don't think that's where, where she took it from that point uh, doesn't make a lot of sense. And it, it's just a stretch in my book. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 meritocracy. And like it's like notwithstanding systemic racism and hundreds of years of oppression. You know, again, me speaking from the outside, just kind of a historical point of view that 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 to me seems fairly obvious but i, I don't know destiny what what do you take away from from owens's hot take on underachievement such as it is no i completely agree with you like that was my exact like thought as well like you ha you were so you were actually making a lot of sense for like the first 10 15 seconds of what you're saying <laughs> you were going somewhere you actually it sounded like you understood the problem and then it was like eh, and I'm taking a left turn and I'm going and I'm running and I'm going all the way there. And I was just like, you lost, you lost. But then I think when I think about um, how we are taught in, in American classrooms, and I've been to school in Southern California and also in Texas, El Paso, Texas, and the schooling, like the way we teach our history and all of that is just in such a way that it, it does try to make everyone, no matter what color you are, believe some sort of narrative. And obviously the narrative that is more often played out is one that benefits a certain type of people. So it sounds like she's got, she's got there, she's like, oh, I felt the pressure and then, but I'm drinking the narrative and like, that's why I, <laughs> You know, I was never a slave, la la la. Like, <laughs> so she just can't separate herself from the, or separate, uh, or fully, um, what are I trying to say? Just like realize that she is a little, like, in my opinion, like brainwashed to that effect due to our schooling. Well, uh, I think you were onto something there when you said separate herself 
uh, Destiny because I feel like uh, with the the Larry Elders and the Candace Owens of the world, their their main point is always I did it, why can't you? And they don't understand that everyone starts from a different place in life. Everyone has a different network. Everyone has a different amount of drive, ambition, um, tools. And so, you know, even though Larry Elder can be like, I grew up in Compton and I made it to the point I am, like, we don't know what kind of outside influence was on his life that kind of helped propel him to be at the place he was um, or is now. <laughs> um, maybe that's a little... Uh, projection going on uh we all do it we all do it in 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 that same light like i'm one of those people that i willfully admit that i am where i am today in life because of the start that i had I, i know people who had parents who didn't even know how to spell the word college and that really just from the start sets you off in a different direction in life um, and when you come up in a certain environment, whether it's in Compton uh, or in some fancy neighborhood in New York, uh, if if you have people around you who are pushing you to be a certain type of person and guiding you, and it doesn't have to be in your family, it can be an outside like mentor or whatever, uh, or even if it comes within, uh, there's something that happens that helps propel you to that point. And the sad the truth of the matter is that not everyone has that in life and people just don't seem to understand that. True enough. And you know, what's interesting too, um, and Destiny and I kind of went over this is that Larry Elder's origin story is actually interesting in that way because you know, he, he refers to himself as quote unquote, the sage from South central. He did grow up in South Los Angeles. He did go as far as I can tell, he went to Crenshaw high school and he ended up getting an Ivy league education. Um, you know, and, and his father struggled as all, you know, black men struggled then and now, but especially then in terms of, you know, the great migration issues with like, you know, the quote unquote end of Jim Crow and moving on to the, the North where things should have theoretically been better, but really they weren't, but we'll get into that in a second. We'll get into that later. And one would think that somebody who faced that type of upbringing, you know, might have a different take on what the way the world should be but he clearly he clearly doesn't if he did then we wouldn't be doing a show about him (laughs) so i mean yeah it's that that's that's pretty much elder and to be clear you know a lot of that was owens you know using you know her words but i i feel like we should hold elder accountable for that because he 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 agrees with her and since he's a gubernatorial candidate now i mean he should be held accountable for all this type of shit that he's saying or at least not disputing yeah, I think I found like I consider them the same person. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> but I, I think I like as you're we talking, just thought of a really good analogy for for this kind of phenomenon, and it really makes me think about you know when we think about folks who have immigrated to this country and they have their children um, here, so they're like first generation, their children are second generation, and then they tell their second generation children not to speak their homeland language, they should only speak English or something, right? And so then they grow up and they're going down this path where they're only speaking English and then they kind of get insulated because they're like, they're trying to follow this different way of life instead of like maintaining a connection with their roots. And I know this is kind of like more, many years ago, Maybe this, this still happens today where, the, where there is this kind of like loss of 
community, loss of culture, loss of background. But like once you get on a certain track, and I think with Elder as well, he like got on a certain track and became insulated, and he just went and kept going down that train. You know, they 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 go on, and, and you know, you heard at the end of that last clip that Elder was saying, "There goes the argument for reparations." Right. So Owens weighs in on that and it turns out that uh candace owens is actually in favor of a form of reparations believe it or not right right there it is and, and look i, I think I, I could be pro reparations i think we should allow people the opportunity or or the chance to go back to africa i would i would sponsor <laughs> that like you wouldn't believe i don't think you can have a long line right i, I don't think we would either but you know that you hear that all the time in theatrical voices they took us from the motherland do you know what's going on in the motherland say have you been to africa i've been to africa okay i'm perfectly content living in america most of people don't realize like the opportunities that you have here in america you'd have never had otherwise i i there's so much in that in those few seconds i i don't even know where to start but uh, destiny i i know where to start or or, or destiny whoever whoever wants to start (laughs) Uh, i'm giving the microphone through to me so and this is another thing i've had to dealt with my entire life growing up this concept that africa is less than my parents my entire life have really ingrained in me that that's just a bullshit ideology. They've shown me all the pictures of all the modern cities and everything that puts Africa on par with the Western world. Um, that particularly Black Americans, uh, it's been kind of ingrained in the culture to think that Africa, first of all, it's an entire, it's a whole ass continent. <laughs> Um, with 70-something countries, uh, the number keeps changing, so I can't give you the, the number right yeah, now. Yeah, who, who knows but how many languages and dialects, continent. right? Uh, yeah, with languages and dialects and culture and, you know, just being in West Africa is a whole different world than being in East Africa, which is a whole different world than being in North Africa, which is a whole different world than being in Central, a whole different world than being in South. Uh, and then you have uh, Madagascar over at the side, which is it's a whole other thing. Like, so... This idea that Africa is holistically, you know, a bunch of people uh, rolling around in the mud is just, it's offensive. And to hear black people say it makes it even twice as offensive because that's another thing. Like, she's like, oh, well, I've been there. I've seen it. She's trying to, like, vindicate herself in that way. And, like, I don't know where she's been in Africa. And honestly, I don't care because I can tell you wherever she's been, there's somewhere better. (laughs) and if, if that's going to be like her marker for, oh, America is better, like there are plenty of awesome places in Africa. Um, and this idea that black Americans don't want to go back there, that's also bullshit, uh, especially over the past couple years. Black Americans, now that we've been a little bit better integrated into the the uh, tech world and, and other forms of jobs that give us more money, They've been going back. Um, it's a whole Netflix series now, High on the Hog. Uh, I don't know if I can say that out loud. Oh, so we, can, we can mention it. I don't think they'll uh, sue us for that. High on the Hog. Yeah. Uh, but th- it's about a guy who goes back and really wants to understand where he comes from and how it relates to America. And so there's definitely an appeal for it. And this idea that it's less than is, is A, ridiculous, and B, just offensive in general. <laughs> Destiny, uh, I, I I know you pretty well at this point, and I have a strong feeling that you are going to 100% disagree with Jelani and speak just so much in favor 
of Candace Owens. So what do you got for me? Don't disappoint. No, not at all. Um, <laughs> I think it, the, I think our word for maybe a lot of the things that they're saying is just like reductive, right? Reductive and also just, just rude and belligerent because it, it is this, they seem to just want to always just monolith things and monolith in a way that's like obviously wrong. It's not open-minded and it's hurtful. <laughs> and from coming from them, as Jay said, like it's even worse because they look like us. So they're they're and they're also kind of in positions of power, right? So like when you hear these people who are supposedly like in positions of power, like sh- saying this, um, you might lean, you know, give them some an ear or something, right? Even though it's complete bullshit. Like, yeah, she didn't even name what country she was going to. Um, Africa and all of its uh, countries are like rich in cultural history, um, um, artifacts um, and everything as well. Like even freaking um, luxury brands have stolen (laughs) like patterns from African um, societies as well. Like Google it, it's true. Like freaking Versace totally stole a bunch of freaking African patterns. And we're trying to pretend that they're, they have no culture, that they're, they're, there's nothing there. That's ridiculous. Um, So I, I agree that it's just, it's just a really sad thing to have other people here. (laughs) Yeah. And, and, you know, it's from a, from a sort of propaganda messaging perspective, it's like, it, it's not really surprising because there's a lot in those comments. Like there, it implies a lot of like America first type stuff, American exceptionalism, the global North versus the global South. Um, you know, and, and also doesn't even touch on why, you know, the, the history of, you know, economic uh, and human exploitation of the African continent by the rest of the world um, to, to this day, you know, uh, you know, uh, World Bank loans, IMF loans, you know, uh, um, uh, conflict minerals that continue to be an issue, a deadly issue in certain parts of the continent of Africa. You know, it's like it, it ignores all those points and just, you know, kind of gets back to like, you know, the idea that like, oh, um, you know, you're lucky to be in America, you know, and. But, you know, that's par for the course for, for Owens and Elder. They, they don't have time for nuance. So, you know, so we finally get to the clip in question. Uh, and this is the one that's making the rounds, right? And this is the part where Larry Elder speaks in defense of a 20 million pound payoff uh, to slavers in the UK back in 1833, well, starting in 1833, uh, as a way to sort of avoid talking about reparations in America. And this was actually one of the first countries that banned the slave trade, right? I mean, Britain was ahead of us, the UK was ahead of us, but America was just right behind them. By by the way, when you mentioned that uh, the UK was ahead of us, they were. Do you know that the slave owners were compensated? After they lost their quote unquote property, the government compensated slave owners. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so when people talk about reparations, do they really want to have that conversation? Because like it or not, slavery was legal. And so their property, their legal property was taken away from them after the after the Civil War. So uh, you can make an argument that the people that are owed reparations and not only just black people, but also the people whose, quote, property, close quote, was taken away after after the end of the Civil War. So what do you make of. Um, and, and by the way, that's why there was no war in the UK. Right. The, the, the slave owners got substantial amounts of money. That's fascinating. And you look at the amount of money adjusted for today's dollars. It was a great deal of money that the former slave owners got, which is one of the reasons they didn't fight a war. I can't wait to look into this. I, I mm-hmm. never knew that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. OK. To be just 
for reference, uh, in today's currency, uh, that those 20 million pound payoff, uh, that would be about 16 million uh, British pounds sterling by today's uh, numbers, okay? Uh, and that money was paid out to a shitload of slaveholders, and it equaled, at the time, about 40% of the nation's yearly budget. And the British government just finished off paying off the, uh, the borrowed amount in 2015. So they were paying off bonds to slavers in 2015. So just as a by the way. With stolen um, money and goods. <laughs> I, I mean, there, and, and again, there's a, there's a lot there. I mean, you could say a lot just for context again, you know, yeah, the slave trade, the slave trade was abolished in 1807 right but in the uk but illegal smuggling continued and the institution of slavery didn't end until 1833 in theory however that uh, legislation actually included something uh, that the british government doesn't like to mention it included a requirement for some quote-unquote former slaves to perform unpaid labor as apprentices under their former owners for a certain amount of years does that sound familiar at all yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. That, is, that smacks of something right after uh, so-called emancipation in the U.S., right? I don't know. What, what, what do you think about this comparison? So, my, my, my biggest problem with what Larry said um, isn't the anecdote about, you know, oh, it prevented war, blah, blah, blah. It's that he acknowledged that people were property and it was okay. Because paying paying someone to say, oh, we, 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 you know, we took your property away, we're paying you for it. Uh, he just acknowledged that it was okay. And, like, and this is my biggest problem with conservative ideology, this whole idea, well, it's a law, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> and, no, that's just not how the world works. Because there's plenty of laws that they don't agree with. Uh, on on the other side of the fence, uh, and they'll yell at you. Uh, <laughs> they'll spit in your face. Uh, they'll attack you. Uh, they'll go to the hospital and die because they don't believe they should follow certain laws. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's what bothers me, bothers me the most about what he said. That he's just he's essentially acknowledging that it was okay for people to be property and. Like the best way to get around this is to pay people off so that they feel better about themselves for owning people. Yeah, it's just it's a payoff, you know. Uh, Destiny, what do you what do you got? I mean, I had to do like a bit of a googling here because you know, Larry, he was around the time like he was a kid during you know the loving case right and so it's like that was oh, all it yeah. was also yeah. illegal for you to marry a white woman before but you're gonna tell us now that that was okay too back then i i, I mean you know, yeah <laughs> like if we're always thinking in that term like what <laughs> how can you really make sense of what they're trying to say in now like you know in the now terms <laughs> Yeah, and, and and elders' whole thing is is it's always about like a free market above all, notwithstanding, like I said, human atrocities that was you know chattel house slavery and slave trade that last at least in that version lasted hundreds of years and spanned basically the whole fucking world, you know. 
and I, you know, it, it, it's a funny thing about that. It's just like, you know, I, and I want to be clear about something, you know, uh, Candace Owens, she quickly says, you know, oh, the United States was one of the first nations to quote unquote end slavery. That's not really historically accurate. Okay. But I just want to, I just want to make one point here. Um, you know, the United States, uh, did before, you know, the civil war, 1865 and beyond, and, you know, the emancipation proclamation, which, you know, in effect didn't do as much as it should have, but the United States actually did abolish the slave trade in 1808, but not the institution of slavery, similar to how the UK abolished the slave trade in 1807, but not the, uh, you know, the concept of slavery until 1833. And, you know, there's there's a question of why they did that. And, you know, I, I went through it and I found this really cool uh, interview with uh, NPR. It was Michelle Martin did an interview with Professor Eric Foner of Columbia University. And he highlights the differences between the UK and the US, which is effectively what Candace and Larry are doing here, right? And first of all, a real quick thing, uh, most of the United Kingdom slaves, right, they mostly physically occupied overseas colonies, right? We're talking the West Indies, uh, Jamaica, places like... About to say Jamaica. Right, right exactly, <laughs> which has been in the news recently, for those of you who don't know. They're, they're, they're taking uh, the United Kingdom to court for reparations, by the way, because of the slave trade. So let's not act like the UK did everything perfectly. Far from it. Professor Foner was asked why this date isn't highlighted in American history, for example, right? He had this to say, so I just want to play this little clip from, the, uh, from that interview. I think few people really think very much about this particular anniversary because the abolition of the slave trade didn't seem to have any particular effect on the abolition of slavery. In the British Empire, for example, slavery the slave trade was banned in 1807, and then in the 1830s, slavery was abolished altogether, and that was a major step toward ending slavery, the uh, banning the slave trade. But in this country, of course, slavery lasted another 50 or more years. It actually grew significantly after the slave trade was ended because uh, in this country, unlike many others, the slave population reproduced itself just by natural increase. And so the slave population continued to grow. Slavery became more and more prominent economically with the rise of the Cotton Kingdom in the Deep South. And it took a, a civil war, as of course we know, to get rid of slavery. Now, that took me about all of five minutes to look up. And, and you know, Larry Elder is going to claim that he doesn't understand why America couldn't have done the exact same thing that the UK did. Foner went on to point out that the reason behind Southern support for the abolition of the trade was simple economics. You see, American slaveholders uh, held a monopoly on the trade once uh, there was theoretically no international competition. There was smuggling, of course, but it increased the fortunes of slave traders in the United States, like, significantly. You know, that, that's, that, that was the main reason for Southern support, is because they knew that they would have a monopoly on the slave trade afterwards. And also, it sort of points out the fact that, you know, there was a difference, you know, and, you know, Carol Anderson kind of makes a big point in one of her recent books on the Second Amendment, which is a, one of the big reasons for the push for domestic um, militias was because there was a there was a fear of a slave uprising in the United States. The UK had no such fears. For them, it was just a payoff for, you know, the concept of property in some overseas colonies, you know, so trying to compare one to the other as if it's a one to one is problematic in the face of it. But it just, you know, that's, that's how they do. They, they just, they go with it and create this version of reality where we just kind of go with it. We, we accept the premise, the false premise as if it's true. 
So, yeah, I listened to an hour of that shit. It was, and that is why I'm drinking right now. I'm so, so. sorry. I'm sorry you had to go through that. <laughs> it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. So, I mean, like I said, in the end, Elder, you know, he approaches slavery and the slave trade as an economics issue, despite whatever moral outrage he may claim. Um, so I think it's a good time right now to refocus on the recall candid version of Larry Elder here in 2021, right? And his view on economics and labor. So, you know, Elder has been somewhat evasive uh, of the press, but on August 5th, he did sit down for an hour with a panel of journalists who asked him about his policies, uh, positions as a potential governor. Uh, Jack Oman, a uh, writer for the Sacramento Bee, asks Elder about his position regarding the minimum wage. So we mentioned this on the last show, um, but just a quick reminder, um, you know, Elder has been on on the record as saying that the minimum wage should be zero dollars. So this is uh, this is Oman just kind of like reiterating that point. Um, you're on record as calling for the end to the minimum wage, saying, quote, the correct minimum wage ought to be zero. Right. How do you think California voters currently earning the minimum wage, which is 13 to 14 dollars an hour, would react to that? OK, so before we get to the rest of that, um, Destiny, um, what, what, what do you think his rationalization is going to be for that one? I I think he's he's ready for slavery to return. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> why would anyone work for zero dollars ever again like <laughs> no that's not yeah how I mean, he function. subscribes to the yeah he subscribes to the milton friedman concept you know the invisible hand you know if you if you pay people nothing no one will work for you so you know it will naturally work itself out if the market is free of regulation right that that's what he's subscribing to but the question is how do you sell that to california how do you expect to be governor with that type of philosophy on labor right so it's like the question i really am asking is how does he dodge this question uh i feel like he's just going to vocalize what you just said that yeah it's going to be zero dollars because people don't want to work for nothing and like people who want to hire people for lower amounts of money will uh lose out to people who are going to pay more like you said this this concept of Free market capitalism. Sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. Right. So let's see where he lands. Well, uh, given the um, indoctrination that people have about the minimum wage, they probably wouldn't react to it well. I would point out that there was editorial in 1987 uh, in the New York Times, an editorial, not op-ed piece. And the headline is correct minimum wage 0.00. And they made all the economic 101 arguments. That is that when you arbitrarily uh, increase the cost of labor. Uh, all sorts of bad consequences come from that. People's hours are cut back. Uh, a hiring decision is deferred. Uh, prices, of, prices of goods go up in order to, to uh, compensate for that forced increase in labor, which is usually the biggest cost in running any kind of business. Yeah, so that, that that's pretty much his answer. He cites a 34-year-old fucking opinion piece from the New York Times. And it it also sounds like he just didn't say anything, right? Yeah, right? <laughs> he is like I didn't hear a true justification. Yeah, yeah. It's just that's that that's his thing, though. You know, um, you know. And, and to be clear, you know, the federal minimum wage was introduced in 1938 as part of the Fair Labor Standards Act, and it was part of the New Deal, which is why people like Larry fucking hate it. You know, they think anything that has to do with the New Deal is just like, you know, it's it's fucking with the free market, 
quote unquote. I mean, I, I've worked minimum wage jobs. I don't know if either of you ever have. Um, and I did not feel like, oh yeah, this is just compensation for my time. You know, I mean, I've, I I don't know about either of you. I, there was plenty of times in my life where I worried about how I was going to pay the rent. And at no point was I like, gee, thank God I have a job at all. This is so nice living under late capitalism. This is not unfair at all. You know, I, I, I don't really know what he's trying to convince anyone of. And I don't understand how anyone who works minimum wage, uh, would be convinced of like the, the free market economics and the principles that would lead, you know, us to, you know, a fair wage absent any type of unions, which he's also against. So I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Am I, am I, am I just, so no, once again, I think he's dealing in, in half truth. So there, there are many economists out there, economists, um, who, who do to this day say things like that. Like if you increase minimum wage artificially, then you, create artificial inflation. Um, the core problem with that is that outside of minimum wage, the price of the cost of living has been going up constantly. <laughs> and if you don't put regulation in place to help adjust for that, then you increase the amount of poverty you have in your system. Um, and so this idea that if you just take the reins off and then all of a sudden the market is going to self-correct it's kind of ridiculous because people are greedy <laughs> uh, and they're going to continue to do the same things they do and now it's going to be like well now i don't even have to pay you 12 dollars uh in order to increase my profit i'm going to lower everyone's salary because people are greedy um this is always often my problem with uh libertarians they they believe in this kind of ultra free uh, market and they forget that people are assholes. <laughs> um, it, it's really the truth because, and and often it comes from a good place because often they themselves aren't assholes and like, well, I would never ask someone to do something for me and not pay them fairly. Um, so why can't everyone live this way? And they don't understand that people are just assholes. There are people who will go out and try to pay you little to nothing and try to get the world out of you. It's just, there's people in the world like that and there's nothing you can do about it, except as a society come together and say, no, you're an asshole. We can't live this way. And we need to put regulations in place to help protect people from being put in that you position. You sound like a goddamn pinko communist there, Jelani. I'm not, I'm not liking this subversive bullshit out of you. So, when I hear that, I, I always say, I will readily admit, I don't think everyone needs the same amount of resources on this planet. So this isn't about re, uh, like taking wealth from the rich or anything like that. This is about people, uh, we're about to get the, get the conversation really broad, but an individual does not need $100 billion. It's just, it's pointless. Uh, they can't do anything with it. 10 generations of their family can't do anything with it. All they're really doing is making 10 generations of some other family shit poor, like dirt poor. And so either they themselves need to come to that reality and say, Hey, I need to do what I can to um, help people who haven't made it all the way up. And this is this concept of trickle down economics 
Um, but the problem is people are greedy and they're like, oh shit, like I made it. I have everything I need. Uh, I can take care of myself and my family. I don't give a shit about you. Like get like me. And they don't understand that most monetary systems are closed to prevent against inflation. <laughs> um, so you can't, there's no infinite amount of money. Uh, otherwise, your system breaks. Right, and right. Yeah, and, and the American... There needs to be balance. Yeah, and the American sort of take on capitalism is, fuck you, I got mine. You know, that that's effectively what it is. Uh, I mean, so, uh, Destiny, you've, you've lived in countries, in a country other than the United States. I presume you worked in one facet or another. I mean, you, you existed outside of, of the U.S. zeitgeist. You know, I, I mean, what are your... What's your take on, like, this this type of thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I will say you will never convince 16-year-old, 20-year-old Destiny that working at Wing Daddy's, which was like a wing restaurant for $0, is ever going to happen. Like, oh, <laughs> you no. got to pay did you, did you, for this fucking service <laughs> or you're not did you, getting did you served. Did you work on tips? Is that, is that what, what that um, was? That so the tips, minimum was wage was about like $2 an hour. And then, yeah, like you had to have tips or otherwise for the um, amount of hours. If So it's like a weird system back then then it was like if you don't make enough tips to hit the actual minimum wage which is like seven dollars or something in texas then the restaurant has to pay you at least that much for your hours so you could be making if you're doing like four hours at the restaurant you could be making maybe a hundred dollars in tips or eight hours you know a hundred dollars in tips or you could be making what seven times four you know like maybe like forty dollars or something with some tips on the side so it was like pretty horrible and i would never say destiny you know i'm not that big chested but working at a restaurant if i was even oh. a stripper you, you ain't gonna pick up this no strippers to be paid zero dollars you can't pay <laughs> um but anyway on the international front um yeah i did live and work in in tokyo japan and it's i mean it's just like a whole different society for sure like even as a part-timer i was always just a part-timer um not because of choice just because of what I could do on my visa. There's, you know, some, so holler to my immigrants out there. I feel your struggle, but, um, I was able to, I was actually working like two to three jobs at one point. Um, but I always had healthcare, like there's, um, you know, the universal healthcare in, in Japan. So I never worried about that. I was working a couple of jobs, but they were actually fun jobs. So like I got to choose like what I was doing and they were fun. And the minimum wage was, um, Depends on the, it's actually, depends on the place. Cause there, it would be about $7 to $15 for part-timers, depending on the job that you're going for. So if you're working at like, I worked at a fast food restaurant, well not fast food, it was like a mom and pop chain. And um, I actually was like, I want to be paid $10 an hour. And that was fine. <laughs> like, um, but also the cost of living is much short, like uh, lower there as well. So, you know, I'm not, I, we live in California. So obviously it's like, you know, you try to eat lunch here and you're already spending $30 plus tip if you go out to a restaurant, but you could go to a convenience store and have like a, a really good meal for less than $5. You can have a set lunch for about $10 that includes a drink, a dessert and like your, your actual entree. So it's like, yeah, I might be making $10 an hour, but if one, with one hour, like I have my food for the day and obviously groceries are much cheaper than eating out. So if you're also cooking, 
you know, I had enough to pay for my um, student loans back in the U.S. and to have some savings and like have a vacation. And I was maybe doing part time gigs, making thirty thousand a year, and I was doing fine. Jeez, what a life! What a fucking life! <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, um, that that yeah, and, and you know, it that's that's the thing. It's a very American thing, like this relationship. Um, between you know uh, a minimum wage and 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 the economy and you know people like elder they're always going to come down on the side of like you know you know you shouldn't regulate you shouldn't fo- you shouldn't force businesses because you'll stifle innovations and fuck with the 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 free market and things like that so regarding that editorial that uh, elder mentions right he talks about like that 34 year old opinion uh editorial right it's an opinion piece so i looked it up uh it's like eight paragraphs right and uh, just for context, right, this was written in 1987. Reagan is president, and Americans were sort of yet to behold the failure that was trickle-down economics. I mean, you know, Jelani, you mentioned that earlier, you know. Um, so the author of this uh, opinion piece, he actually ex- includes a couple of suggestions as an alternative to raising minimum wage. And, uh, you know, I wonder how Ed uh, Elder would feel about this. So regarding um, alternatives to raising the minimum wage to help the working poor, right, the author suggests... Uh, First of all, he suggests government subsidizing the income of the working poor. Quote, uh, here are two means towards that end. Wage supplements. Uh, Government might subsidize low wages with cash or payments for medical insurance, pensions, or social security taxes. Alternatively, Washington could enlarge the existing earned income tax credit, a negative income tax paying up to $800 to working poor families. This would permit better targeting uh, since minimum wage workers in affluent families would not be eligible. That sounds a lot like universal basic income to me. Eerily. Right? Eerily. Which, That's which Elder is scary. very much against. <laughs> He's been very much on record. He's against this. So he forgets to mention that part in the very work that he's citing also training programs also by this author quote training and education the alternative to supplementing income for the least skilled workers is to raise their earning power in a free labor market in the last two decades dozens of programs to do that have produced mixed results at a very high cost but the concept isn't necessarily at fault nurturing the potential of individuals raised in poverty is very difficult a humane society would learn from its mistakes and keep trying so that sounds like government intervention meddling with the free market one way or another as an alternative to the uh, minimum wage. But again, Elder doesn't mention that part. So I, you know, I, I don't know what to say. That. I am a little wary of training programs because of, you know, reconstruction uh, post um of post-civil war and like issues with that. I mean, those were clearly, you know, the vagrancy laws, the apprentice laws, the, the black codes and things like that. So, I mean, I, I'm weary of that concept, but I, you know, I, I, it's more than what elder was offering. So I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I wonder if the people who we think are shills are actually working in our favor <laughs> and want the, you know, the people who agree with them, to go look up these things and then start spouting ideas like that. Um, I know this isn't the case, but sometimes I want to believe that's true. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll, 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 we'll hope for that. So, uh, so elder isn't done, 
right? So he's he's started with that, and like I said, he is going to invoke the holy deity of free market economics, Mr. Milton Friedman. Um, Milton Friedman, the Nobel laureate um, economist uh, who was a friend of mine, uh, said that he believes that the minimum wage was, quote, the most anti-Negro law on the statute books, close quote, because at one time, believe it or not, a black teenager was more likely to be employed than a white teenager, more likely to be employed than a white adult, more likely to be employed than a black adult because that teenager was able to sell his labor for less. When you come in with the minimum wage, you are uh, you are foreclosing the ability of people, often with uh, with little education and little skills, to get a job. I don't. I never have quite understood why a third party like government, uh, why that government feels it's anybody's business. What my relationship is with an individual who willingly sold his labor, uh, and my relationship with that person when I willingly bought that labor. Uh, why two people who are adults can't determine what the price of labor ought to be is beyond me. And why a third party feels it's his or her business to interfere with that is also beyond me. Uh, Destiny, uh, any any response to that? Because uh, we've been there, done that. <laughs> of course. Why, why, yeah. But also... Why, why would anyone need to interfere with, with labor issues? Yeah. What? But also, I think... This is just, you know, he, yeah, he's using this article from like 34 years ago, la la la. And like, he's obviously not rooted in reality today because I don't know what he's, he's saying on the campaign trail, but there's people that are not going back to work because they're like, no, I'm not going to. I would rather be at home and looking for a better job than to take anything that's coming at me because it's not going to be worth my time. It's not going to be good for me or my family. So like, he's not even on the same page as a lot of Americans now with what they want to do with for work and how they want to be adequately paid. I have a question. Is, is Larry Elder in favor of unions? Uh, <laughs> uh, so, okay. So the short answer is, Public unions, absolutely not, um, unless we're talking about police and fire. Um, private unions... How does that... <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. How does that work? Yeah. <laughs> so so there, there's... Um, uh, so on the right, just generally speaking, there is a... Um, th- there's just that classic sort of narrative that they have to be on the side of law and order... Um, and also, by the way, police unions are have inordinate uh, power versus other unions. They just like you. You look at police unions versus like nurses unions, for example. And you know we could probably come to the reason why pretty easily. But the short answer is he's generally against public unions unless it's police and fire, and that's mostly because he needs those bases, right? Because they're they're. They're sort of like part of like that conservative block of voting, at least traditionally. So, so one would think. Um, I, I really wish I was the one interviewing these people sometimes because <laughs> I just ask straight up, like, "Oh, so you're in favor of unions?" Yeah, and then watch them twist and turn and bend around that because that's literally what a union is. It's like people organizing to say, "You're not paying us enough, or you're not offering us." Uh, the everything we need in order to perform our job properly and we need more at least that's what a union is supposed to be <laughs> sure he he might say that private unions are okay because he's very big into like you know everything being privatized so he he, he might go there to an extent 
But in the end, he's always going to come down on the side of, you know, uh, management over labor. So, no, he, he's... That was going to be the, the next thing I wanted to say. Uh, I really wish... I should go apply to work for Larry Elder. <laughs> um, because I, I'll be like... Uh, I'll go and be like, I'm going to bill you for my labor. <laughs> That's $300,000. <laughs> and see what he has to he, say. He would probably that. counter that with like, you know, $10 and a Larry Elder for Governor t-shirt. <laughs> Something like that. But that's, you're in the that's, ink that's how we negotiate. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know what I really love is how he's sort of brushing over the larger issue is, you know, he talks about, you know, young young black men could sell their labor cheaper before a minimum wage. I'm like, well, why was that? You know, let, let, let's dive into that, shall we? Why were they the demographic that were only working because they were willing to sell their labor cheaper, right? It, uh, could it be maybe there was something they all had in common that you just mentioned? I don't know. And why are and they? Also, and why are we mad that they're getting paid? So you know, <laughs> uh, Elder goes on, and basically his argument is the same talking point that you know uh, conservatives use, which is if you inc- with every increase of minimum wage, right, you will lose jobs. And the talking point from Milton Friedman specifically was that uh it is certain people will be most affected by that in terms of job loss specifically young black men right so thank you for bringing that up so regarding that uh that milton friedman little um statement he just made right the the quote-unquote anti-negro comment so that comes from uh, Elder referring to a 1966 piece written by Milton Friedman, and it was published in Newsweek. So I'm going to give you the full, I'll link the article in the uh, show notes, but here's the full paragraph. Quote, women, teenagers, Negroes, and particularly Negro teenagers will be especially hard hit. He's referring to the uh, the increase in minimum wage. Um I am convinced that the minimum wage law is the most anti-Negro law on our statute books, in its effect, not its intent. It is a tragic but undoubted legacy of the past, and one we must try to correct, that on average, Negroes have lower skills than whites. Similarly, teenagers are less skilled than older workers. Both Negroes and teenagers are only made worse off by discouraging employers from hiring them. On-the-job training, the main route whereby the unskilled have become skilled, is thus denied them. So, it's pretty easy to see why Larry Elder doesn't like to include the full paragraph in what he's saying. Looking at it in entirety, I mean, I, I, I'm not quite sure what point Larry Elder is trying to make, or what he's trying to convince anyone of, you know, by invoking Milton Friedman in this regard. Well, I'm also like, why are you, so you say like things should, from the past should be left in the past, but you're surfacing these little like archaic uh, cliff notes <laughs> that like are in the past for your argument in the now. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Thing. Like what, <laughs> like you, you, you're a hypocrite, dude. Like <laughs> why are you using this stuff? Like if we have to forget about slavery, you should forget about your Milford friend because like they're in the past, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Milford Freeman, the godfather of the free economy or something, or at least with the modern, you know, the rise of the new right in the sixties and the seventies. That's, that's how they, they like to rule. So, you know, in, like I said, as I said, last episode in the end, 
Larry Elder, you know, he he sucks, but this is really this is talking about his use of propaganda and there's no stronger sort of like tool that Larry Elder likes to use than his own origin story. So I talked about this a little earlier, like Larry Elder likes to sort of justify his stance on the economy and really everything by telling a story about his father. So this is, this one runs a little long, but it's important we hear all of it. This is Larry Elder speaking to, um, a crowd in San Diego uh, last month as he was kicking off his um, his recall sort of campaign. So this is Larry Elder basically just mid-speech talking about his father and what he went through um, growing up and, you know, trying to make it in the world and what Elder sort of took away from that. I'm going to come out to L.A. get me a job as a cook. My dad comes out here, walks around. He's- Sorry, a uh, little context. So uh, just real quick, I didn't want to play this part, but... Uh, Elder starts this this uh, anecdote by talking about how his father was trying to find work in the rural South after coming home from World War II and being called the N-word, and I, I didn't want to play that part. So it picks up from there with his father talking about he's going to go out to California for better prospects. So you don't have any references. You have no references. I need references. My dad said I need references to make ham and eggs. Goes <laughs> <laughs> an unemployment office. This time just one door. Lady said, I have nothing. My dad said, what time do you open? She says, nine. What time do you close? She says, five. My dad said, I'll be sitting in that chair from nine to five until you find something. I'll be sitting there the next day. My dad sat there for a whole day. Next day, sat there for half a day. Lady calls him up, says, I have something. I don't know whether or not you're going to want it. My dad said, of course I'm going to want it. I'm starting a family. What is it? She said, it's a job cleaning toilets at Visco brand bread. My dad did that for 10 years, took a second job cleaning for cleaned toilets for another bread company called Barbara Ann, went to night school three or four nights a week to get his GED, cooked for a family at the weekend. The man never slept. Which is why he was so grouchy all the time. And my father and I had a 10-year period of time where we didn't speak to each other because he was so mean, so grouchy, and I thought he didn't really love us. And one day I sat down for a five-minute conversation. It ended up being eight hours. He told me about his life, told me that he was kicked out of the house when he was 13 years old by his mom's then-boyfriend, never to return. A black boy, Jim Crow South, at the beginning of the Great Depression. I defy you to find somebody who had a hand dealt like that. Comes out to California, works the jobs I mentioned, saves up his nickels and dimes, gets a house that's still in the family. It is now valued at $600,000. Somebody... Somebody with an eighth grade education, dropout like my father, could not duplicate his route from poverty to the middle class if he worked for a job because the cost of living in California has gotten so outrageous. Yeah, so Elder's takeaway from his father's heart, uh, let's assume it's true, okay? Elder's takeaway from his father's heart-wrenching story is that it's a shame that people can't duplicate what his father did because the cost of living in California is so high. That's all he takes away from it. So I... just any reactions at all? Uh, I know what I think, but I just I hear that and I get sad when he can't point out the racism in exactly. that story. <laughs> um, and because that's kind of the core problem that you know he thinks, oh, his dad just was tried and true and and like worked through it. No, his dad essentially beat the system because the system was trying to hold him back. Uh, and, and he fought against it. But when you think about it on a grand scale, there's not enough room for 16% of this country to do that. There's just not enough room. You're going to get people here and there getting through in that way. 
but there's literally just not enough room for 16% of this country to do that. And that's the part that annoys me about people with this ideology. They just, like I said, they, they don't have very good systemic thinking and they think very anecdotally. They're like, Oh, well, my dad did it. Uh, I did it. Like, you know, everyone else can do it. And that's just not how the world works. Period. I also just want to comment on how sad it is that he just also fails to connect that his dad is a vet coming, you know, off of this horrible war and he's still treated like shit and he still has to go all the way across the country to maybe find an opportunity. And he still doesn't even get recognition for having served this country. It's as Jay says, he's just totally glossing over that because his dad basically slaved away for him, Larry and his, his siblings, if he has them to have a better life. Yeah, no, and, and that's what he's doing, right? <laughs> he he's teeing up his father as as an archetype, as like this is what it this is what success looks like if you don't let anything get in your way. And because my dad made it, and because you know, th- presumably he made it, Larry Elder made it, quote unquote. Uh, anyone can make it, and based on that anecdotal evidence, uh, systemic racism does not exist. You know, and to look at it personally in a way that I can relate to, which is more of a labor point of view is that you know why do you why is that a fun story why are people applauding the fact that his father had to work so many fucking jobs and so many hours that he lost touch with his son why right (laughs) (laughs) like that's not good right that's not anything to celebrate why he's like oh my dad literally didn't sleep no that's not good yeah why is that an aspirational thing (laughs) I, I I don't know. And, and, you know, I mean, that's not even diving into, you know, the more uh, just the, the, the worst part of it, you know, which is, you know, the, the racial aspect of it, you know, which is a, a destiny and John, you both point out is so fucking obvious, you know, and here, here's the thing. The worst part about this is, I guess my tie off is this with everything that we know about him, uh, his, his educational pedigree, which is pretty impressive. You know, and the fact that technically he has been able to successfully run his own business, albeit it's one based on propaganda, you know, and and fear mongering. But he's in no way like a stupid person. He's highly capable. I would argue highly intelligent. Um, And yet he chooses to to sort of peddle in these types of disinformations and and falsehoods, you know, about uh, about the American dream and what it means to succeed in America. I just, I, I, I don't know. It is so yeah, go for it. What do you got? I just, I, I want to add that I, I always want to give people the freedom to be their true selves. Even if your true self is an asshole, <laughs> like he, he probably just has a different perspective on the world, which is completely fine. Um, I the only reason why I, I really take issue with his type and um, the the Candace Owens type is because, like you said, they're smart enough to know that uh, they're speaking in a way in order to profit off of people. He's literally an entertainer, like he he's a radio show host. He wants to get people's attention. He wants to speak in a way to keep people's attention. And he's just playing off that. And so whether or not he believes what he's saying, he at least knows what he's doing. 
in order to captivate his audience. And that's the bigger issue that I take with him. Like he can have this different perspective on the world. I don't care, but to just use it in a way to take advantage of people. That's the part that I take issue with. And that's why we can't have the free market because of assholes (laughs) (laughs) who just literally sit and take advantage of people. Well, it's also, I think like, the when you look at him, you think you know who his audience is, but we know who his audience really is, right? Like the people that want to hear this this fairy tale of you know the quote unquote like black struggle still happening in America. You have to you know pull yourself up from the bootstraps and all of this stuff that is you know so entrenched in white supremacy and like <laughs> uh, systemic racism that like that is his actual base not not definitely not me definitely not jelani definitely not not you matt right it's like the people that still believe that that is the case and probably still have their cotton dollar king cotton money and they're peddling that you know until we you know ban abortion everywhere and there's (laughs) maturity again i don't know i'm totally like hitting that white claw but yeah <laughs> it's all right i'm i'm about four whiskeys in so we're we're, we're beyond that now so i did want to point out as well that um i don't know if you said this in the other episode that larry's father passed away 10 years ago as well so we will never actually know how his father actually feels about him parading his story around like that unless you look this up so he's not around to refute anything that larry elder says okay what really, you know, what that really makes me think of? That makes me think of people waxing poetic about um, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and representing him as something other than you know what what he was, which was you know a huge social dissident, which is someone who was under surveillance and being sabotaged by the FBI as someone who was considered a threat to national security. And now that he's dead, you know people just cherry pick certain things that have nothing you know, the 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 parts that are convenient for american capitalism and continuing white supremacy and, and ignore everything else that he fucking said you know and, and i think to an extent it's possible larry elder does that very thing it's like oh my dad's dead so i'm just gonna go ahead and just construct this narrative in a way that works for me i mean you, you know i shouldn't speculate that way but it wouldn't surprise me if that's exactly what he's doing it's 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 the human way. Like if you want to get into human psychology, it's just it's the human way. Uh, it's relatively normal to do things like that. I have there's entire podcasts worth of theories that I have uh, about similar situations of other people in the world who like. I think a thousand years from now, humans will cherry pick things about them that they like, um, and they'll turn into this mystical creature. Um, and I often bring that up in my conversations about religion, which is this podcast is not about, but, uh, <laughs> I think it's very similar. Politics and religion aren't fall apart, far apart. And yeah, I, I think it's done on purpose. Like, uh, and we see it, he, he's doing it with the economists. Like we see him do it with other people. So there's no reason to believe that he's not doing the same thing with his father. Like he's picking out the parts that help his narrative, just like he does with, the articles he references and referencing uh, reparations in the UK. He's just, he's playing to his base. He's helping his narrative. And that's what humans do, especially ones 
who make money off being storytellers. <laughs> which, Manipulators. which is very much what he is. I mean, in the end, he, he talks for a living, quite literally. Oh, geez. Okay. Well, with that, uh, I think we have come to the end. Um, so that this is part two, uh, Larry Elder. Um, <laughs> and the recall election is going to be happening on the 14th, uh, which will be the day after this podcast is released. Um, everyone, as we said before, if you haven't voted, go ahead and vote one way or another. Um, if you're eligible to vote and not registered, get that taken care of. Democracy only works with maximum uh, representation, maximum participation. So get on it. Um, Having said that, uh, Destiny, you want to remind our fans where we can follow your work? Oh, yeah. If you are interested in more uh, casual conversations and open-minded perspectives on societal issues and topics, you can find that at getdrunkgetwoke.com and anywhere you get your podcasts. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Especially like the first part. Oh yeah, Jillian, you're 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 taking a pause from creative work, but you told me about an interesting podcast, right? Somebody close to you is uh, is doing, is that right? Uh, yeah. So uh, my sister has a podcast called Milf Ministries, where she hell yeah <laughs> explores uh, life, love, and relationships as a divorcee, um, and also, uh, I guess. A single mom because of the divorce part <laughs> yeah uh that's all i really had to plug okay now. all right <laughs> sure more to come in the future all right and and thank both of you by the mm-hmm. way for for coming on and and talking about this i know it's aggravating i hope the uh the alcohol helped somewhat so there there's a point i, I wanted to bring up that we uh, there was never opportunity oh yeah go go to go really drive it in but uh uh I want to really harp on the fact that like the people like Candace Owens and Larry elders, like they're, they are propped up because of their skin color and because of their views. And I really want people to understand that the things they say and do are to help keep them in that position and to take money from people. (laughs) Um, And so they're especially divisive. They're uh, especially expensive. They just, they keep doing and saying what they need to do in order to maintain their position. Um, And so I encourage people to not get too spun up. Like, don't lose any sleep over these people because (laughs) they're kind of just garbage people in general. Um, And, you know, if it wasn't uh, politics and racism, they'd find some other little corner of the world, like selling pillows to people for dollars. Like there's, there's people in the world who are just like that. You did, you so did not just invoke Mike Lindell. Understand. You didn't, you didn't do that. <laughs> uh, I just, I just want to say there, there's people in this world who like that. So don't let them get you angry. They're just trying to make you angry. Like there's plenty of other things in the world for you to actually be angry about. Uh, and plenty of other world, ways in the world you can make change. So uh, don't don't get spun up over Larry Elder and Candace Owens. <laughs> They're just garbage people. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> Destiny, any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, if it sounds like it's garbage, definitely fact check. <laughs> don't do not take anyone at their word. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> Yeah, I like it. I, I like that paranoid approach to the world. It's unfortunately appropriate. 
Oh, man. Okay. Well, I guess we're not going to do a better sign-off than that. So uh, with that, uh, we will be back next week with post-election analysis of Elder. Uh, And I have a feeling if he loses, there's definitely going to be election fraud accusations made. And I'd just like to thank everyone. They're already starting. Oh, yeah. Oh, they are. That's right. Oh, God. No, he did say that, didn't he? If he loses, then he wouldn't be Mm -hmm. surprised if there was election fraud shit. Uh, Mm -hmm. Fuck. All right, well, that and our our old friend DJT is also oh fuck that guy. He's got he doesn't live on on this podcast. <laughs> fuck him. So, uh, with that, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, keep your heads up, stay informed. Uh, maybe find a local charity to donate to, and let's all drink to the fact that uh, due to climate change, this will all end one way or another. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah. <laughs>